0: Got to be louder than that. I got to be so loud that I overtake your conversations. There it is. And then a loud, booming voice came from above <laughs> and said, cease. That shall be the end of your conversations. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. You know, if you didn't have anybody to meet and greet, the beautiful thing about a, a small community church is hopefully you get a chance to meet somebody new every week. I mean, we are kind of territorial, kind of or- orca pod like, you know. And some people, like the Johns, seem to have migrated to this section. So if you're a John and you're looking for communion, Johns seem to be in this section. And wherever you seem to go, you know what, shake it up. I noticed today somebody completely saddened, Jeff, you don't sit over there. So th- this is good, Jeff. You're, uh, on behalf of the Jeffs, uh, there goes Brad, he's moving. And Brad moved to where there was no one. So those of you online, this is where it gets really confusing. You don't know the names of everyone, so you got to come in. If you want to see what's happening here, if you want to be part of this thing, you got to come in and see what's happening. I, I, I think, Ken, one of the beautiful things about having Ken do the announcements is I always feel like there's nothing for me to talk about, but the reality was yesterday across the street was this amazing women's event where a plethora of women, a gaggle, a, a virtual concophony of women were across the street. I mean... It was like in excess of like 50 ladies, 54. 54. God bless accountability, 54 ladies across the street on a Saturday to be an encouragement and to be a blessing. And my wife was telling me that a lot of the ladies that she sat with at the table that she was at were actually invited ladies that don't even attend the church. And so God bless an event like that where we can reach out to our community reach out to our friends and have them come and be encouraged. So thank you all the ladies that put that event on. And bless them. thank you to all those who also helped do the teardown and cleanup. We have uh, John up here in the front who's been helping us with doing all that, and that's a real blessing since some of us are no longer as able-bodied uh, as we once were, but like to think of it. And you know what, Josh? that's what you have to look forward to being the only able-bodied person left in the <laughs> church is not only Josh is playing bass today. Not only will Josh have to learn every instrument and play every instrument. <laughs> But because he is only 30, he he's responsible for being the entire band, and then one day doing all the cleanup. So on behalf of all the 30 somethings in our crowd, that's what you guys have in store. You guys will be doing that all one day. No, no, it's all good. God bless you guys and thank you. And those, seriously, I came in to study. Uh, It's been busy with some of the events going on, some of the unfortunate events as well. But I like to come in on Saturday sometimes and just see the parking lot full of people. Man, that upstairs in the office that's a real joy for me so thank you for letting me be blessed by that well we are in acts chapter 2 the second part of that we are in verses 21 through 41 and as i got the chance to prepare this week i realized that a pastor's prerogative is to say this is the most important passage in the scripture right and so this morning as i woke up and i told my wife who you know everyone's going to use this uh, running thing to, you know, as an excuse and they're not going to be here. And I was struggling with it this morning. And she's like, well, you say that every single Sunday. (laughs) And you know why? It's because maybe every single message is the most important message in the Bible. Because the reality is life is temporal. Life is moody. And we may hear a message and take it for granted. And the reality is today, guys, I can tell you everything about this message today for me resonates with everything about a sunday service it explains why we do church so if you're one of those people that have one of those deep-seated questions like really what is church all about i think today is going to be one of those special days in the passage of scripture where not only do you get to understand what church is all about but how it started right and for me that's so important to understand how something starts why because for me one of my experiences in life has been the way that something starts often kind of determines of how something will end, right? And because of that, when I think about something like Christian, the Christian faith, the faith that we have today, and how we even got here today, how did it start? And we're actually going to cover the passage today of how it actually started. And that's really important because it starts with an individual who we're going to talk quite a bit about today is not necessarily who would be everyone's first selection, Matter of fact, if the selection of only 11 remaining apostles were left, he wouldn't have made the top 10. And that's going to be a really interesting point for me to share with you because Peter is the one that gets to share this first sermon. Now, one of the things I want to share with you before I pray is that the reality of Pentecost, the reality of the church being born, is simply this it's not of a human spirit, it's not of human power. And I think if you're a note taker or something like that, this is really something I want to just kind of just, this is the bonus thought that you have to realize is everything that we have today, everything that we talk about when we talk about faith, when we talk about Christianity, none of what we have is from our own power. It is exclusively from the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that will be so exciting about sharing this passage with you today is the reality is that Holy Spirit power that was poured out then is available today. It's available now, and that's why I'm so excited when I get a chance to sing a song, and thank you, Bill, for singing it. There's no place I'd rather be, right, than here in your arms, here in your arms, because today we have the opportunity to ask that same Spirit of God to speak to us, to speak through us, and to teach us things that were not available to us. So if you weren't here last week, I'm going to do a little bit of catch-up, because it's really important to kind of get the setting for the message And then we'll jump into the message and we'll talk a little bit more exclusively about Peter and who he is and why I think it's so significant to Pentecost. Let me pray at this time. Father God, first and foremost, as we do each and every week, we take a deep breath and we pause and we try to slow ourselves down to just simply say, whatever the week has had, whatever the trials and the struggles were of the day, even for some just the getting up and getting here this morning, Father, We set all that at the feet of the cross, and we simply say, speak to us this morning. We simply say, use your word, Father, to stir in us things that we would never understand, things that we would never even see. And Father, may that same Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that birthed the church some 2,000 years ago, may that Holy Spirit find a place today in each person's heart, and may he speak again this morning to each one of us with that same encouragement that he gave Peter to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. Father, if there's someone listening this morning and even someone here today that just, maybe they didn't realize that something about today was different, may they realize what's different about today is today could be the day that they open the door to Jesus Christ and invite him in. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Thank you for the opportunity to read, study, and be part of everything that he is about. We do it in that special and privileged name, amen. All right. So from the very beginning to speak, Jesus has to return. He has to come back and redo that which he already did. Now, this is interesting to me that he gets three and a half years, almost a thousand days of conditioning with his apostles, disciples, the people that he's been showing. And the reality is they still don't understand. So as we started last week, the reality is Jesus has just come back from the dead. He's beginning to speak to all the people that he needs to re, kind of reteach and reestablish all the things that they have forgotten And then he's going to return actually right straight in front of them to the right hand of the Father and his throne, his rightful place in heaven. He had been telling them the whole time that something was going to happen. He had been explaining to them that the Spirit of God was going to come. But even so, they kind of had an idea. They really seemed to be more lost than anything. He tells them where to go one final time. He tells them to return to Jerusalem And begin to pray and so they follow that last instruction they return to jerusalem mary jesus's brothers which is interesting that james is part of that group about 120 people they return to this upper room a building that has the opportunity to hold all of them and they begin to wait and what did they do when they wait they begin to pray And this is a really powerful passage, by the way, for those of you, yes and no is kind of an answer in the Bible. Psalm 27, one says, waiting upon the Lord is a beautiful thing. And I would like to encourage you just with that. When you are waiting upon the Lord, wait in prayer. This is a powerful way to do this. And while they wait, what happens? Well, the first thing that they begin to think of is that maybe this is an opportune time to replace somebody. Now, the replacement is for Judas. Obviously, Judas has done something horrific. Jesus, Judas has actually made himself a name that we even talk about today. I think I was actually looking at the most, most uh, detestable names. And interesting, Judas is still one of those names. To be a Judas, to be a, an scapegoat to Judas they, they call the scapegoat to Judas is still kind of in our vernacular today. Uh, Benedict Arnold was also in one of those notorious names. But I couldn't help but think about something when we get to Peter, too, is like when you think about what Peter actually did, too, it's going to be pretty interesting. I mean, think about what Judas actually did. He betrays Jesus, but when he betrays Jesus, he has such resent for what he has done that he takes the money that he was actually given for betraying Jesus, he throws it back at the people that gave it to him, and then he goes out and he hangs himself. I would say that's pretty resentful, and yet the reality is, is how we've remembered him and how we have chose to remember him for all of history as the one who betrays. Needless to say, the guys are just thinking about replacing this guy and the bad taste that's maybe in their mouth, and they're like... The first thing that we should do is cast slots and choose the next person. So they try to choose between Matthias and between Joseph in a process of casting stones. Now, some people have pictured this as kind of rolling dice. It's not dice. They're actually stones, and the stones have different symbols on them. And then based on how the symbols were, it kind of gave an answer. Now, this was accepted in the Old Testament. This was standard SOP of something that they would have done. But it's just interesting to me that 10 days after Jesus' ascension, and while they're praying, the first thing that they decide to do is roll stones and try to figure out what they should do, right? Where in the Bibles does it say that we were involved in any way choosing the disciples or the apostles? Like, this is just an indicator for me, right? He's just done this great pep talk, this 40-day class with them. He's got them all dialed in, and the first thing that they decide to do is replace somebody. And not only are they going to replace somebody, but they're going to cast these stones to replace them. By the way, this whole casting of stones, I didn't really like this. It made me uncomfortable, so I did quite a bit on R&D. This is the last time that it's mentioned in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? But it's not really, because think about what's going to happen. After this casting of stones, something's about to occur, and what's about to occur is the releasing of the Holy Spirit, which is the person who does what? The Paraclete, the one who walks alongside, the one who guides and instructs us. So there's no longer reason, thank goodness, because this is a very awkward thing to think casting stones somehow is acceptable. By the way, they even have a, a verse in Psalms that says the stones are cast, but the Lord determines the outcome. So they really had to kind of a, convince that this was a good thing to do. But either way, they do this. And what do they do? They present the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, with two options. Church, one of the things I want to just make some notes before we get to presenting the Lord with options has never been a good thing, okay? from the This message is so weird as I was kind of going through some of this thing. I mean pep talk, pep talk, pep talk. Come on, guys. You got this. You got this. And what are they going to do? Okay, we need to decide. Matter of fact, we need to decide. And who is it between? I mean, these are all things that kind of go against it. it would seem the very thing that Jesus had just taught them. Lean <laughs> not into your own understanding, guys. But in always trust me. Okay, we're going to do this in... Um, Matthias. Yeah, Matthias. We're going to use Messiah and whatever. It's like, okay, not only are you guys kind of narrowing the scope of who God is, but if you guys would just wait, I mean, the whole point of being in the upper room is just wait on the Lord. Isn't Paul about to surface in just a little bit of time? Isn't Paul about to have this encounter with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus and turn out to be this incredible, powerful apostle, disciple for, you know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes the very things that these guys are in such a hurry to do Uh, It just baffles me but once again remember the point of the uh, the pentecost the point of all this It's not human-based Any one of these times if it was human-based they would have messed it up even continuing into this They would have messed it up. They're trying to mess it up But because god is allowing these things to happen He's using all things and he's continuing to work through it That's a real blessing to me by the way that god works through our inadequacies and our failures even when we know better and we don't do it They choose him they move on down the road and like I said, Paul ends up surfacing later on in the scripture, but he doesn't have any part of this role. And now all of a sudden they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And then in that moment, the Holy Spirit is released upon them. Now, when Rod talked about this last week, I couldn't help but thinking this is worth going back and touching again. Okay? When he says the Spirit of God is released upon them, this is interesting because in the Old Testament, if you think about how the Spirit of God was released. Maybe it was in a singular event right? Uh, Moses Moses in the burning bush, right? If you talk about the Old Testament and you're trying to find the acts of the Holy Spirit in it, most of those acts are going to be very singular in nature because that's how it kind of presented itself. A bush that burns that speaks about God that gives Moses information, right? Part of what the Holy Spirit's job is to give us information, provide all that. Or maybe the Spirit of God that fell upon David, right? There's an account of the Bible about that. Any kind of the nuances in the Old Testament where the Spirit falls, it's usually singular in nature right but this initial falling in the new testament the gospels right the reason why we call the gospels the good news this initial falling is not singular in nature matter of fact it's anything but singular it's what i would call a deluge okay now recently in the last six months of our lives we've had some rain here in california that's not been very typical maybe if you were from seattle or washington or other areas where rain is kind of more prevalent you would have this but a deluge is something that with, even when you have an umbrella up, the deluge is so significant that it literally feels like you're standing under a waterfall or a hose. It's, it's just this downpouring. And I couldn't help but kind of picture this. Now, I'm super visual about stuff. So as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about, um, I've lived by some areas where a plane has flown over your head. All you Newport people on this side where a plane is flown over. You have that sound, this large sound rushing past you. Or maybe you've been by a train before as it's gone by and the sound of a rushing wind. And I can't help but think about how loud and how substantial this is, because it not only falls on all 120 of them, but it falls and maintains the sound in such a way that it begins to draw people in. Now think about what that, mean. think about what that means, and the power of what I'm telling you this passage is because it's not human-based, because the power and the significance about what's about to happen is not human-based, then even the drawing in of the lost is not human-based, now think about what that means to us in church today. Sometimes we feel like I have to invite my friends and I have to share. You don't have to, you get to, right? You get to invite your friends to church. You get to share the love of Christ with, your, with the lost around you. But it is the power of that spirit of God to draw them in. And I couldn't help, when I was reading this, I started, I don't know if you read the Bible sometimes and all of a sudden your mind just wanders. And I went back to creation, Cre- right? In creation, isn't there an account of the wind kind of coming over the void of the earth? right? And the wind is coming and the rushing wind is, and what's about to happen? He's about to speak through this wind and he's about to form the earth and he's about to do all this. And I'm like, that same spirit of God was there in creation. And the same spirit of God is now moving over this 120 people. And it's an eclectic group of 120 people. And something's happening in such a way that the whole town begins to hear Now, the town is busy. This is Pentecost. This is one of the three major events that happen. So we're talking about a town that's up and running, right? You would think that that would have enough distractions to keep their attention. It's not. This spirit is so loud and what's happening over this building is so loud it begins to draw them in and they begin to come in and filter in. I can't help but think about maybe like a tent revival or if you've ever done a beach baptism where the spirit of God is being spoken and people begin to be drawn in. And because they're coming from all over, I mean, 30 different dialects, that's what's known. 30 different available languages are being drawn into this building. And as they're drawn into this building, something's occurring. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. And the utterance is so kind of overwhelming that people that are being drawn in begin to kind of kind of gather around as a crowd. And they begin to mumble to themselves, what the heck is going on in here? Something's happening here. What's happening? Different dialects, not being able to speak, not being able to understand And then in the mumbling, they hear the same thing. They must be drunk. They must have been in some kind of wild party. There must be something wrong with these people. And I think Rod did a fabulous job of reminding us, for those of you that have had an encounter with a drunk person, a truly drunk person, speaking phrases that are making any kind of sense is not only not an option, but these aren't just phrases, right? These are Galileans, which that's another not nice thing. These are Galileans who are not only speaking but they're speaking different dialects. And the dialects that are unknown to them are being spoken perfectly clear so that the people that begin to gather around this large noise begin to gather around the pod and that person's speaking that tongue. So you have someone maybe speaking Russian or German or French or whatever dialects are available and they begin to perfectly hear the articulation of what? That that person That that Jesus Christ thing that just happened. The explanation, he was the Messiah. He is the Messiah, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. And the first message that gets to go out to all these different people, spoken in languages they don't even know, is being spoken through the Spirit of God. Peter then hears the crowd muttering. Peter then hears the crowd rumbling. And Peter then begins to think something. Peter, standing on the stairs of this large gathering, begins to think, I need to say something. (laughs) What does Peter say? He says a lot of different things, but he kind of starts by saying in verse 21, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm gonna read from you the passage. I got a couple of different passages that I wanna read. They're fairly lengthy, but I want you to realize that we are about to hear the first message ever preached At the first revival ever to occur because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon the first 120 believers who simply showed up and said we will trust God to move. And this is what was spoken and this is what happened. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the dead and put an end to the agony of death. And since it was impossible for him to be held in its power, for even David says of him, I saw the Lord continually before me, and he is at the right hand, so I will not be shaken. And therefore my heart was glad and my tongue was overjoyed. And moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay, for you have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. 29, brothers, I may confidently say this to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and he was buried, and his tomb is with us today. So because he was a prophet and knew that God was sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. It is in this Jesus, whom God raised up, a fact to which we are all witnesses. 33. Therefore, since he has been exalted at the right hand of God and has received the promise of the we have received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father. And it has poured out upon us for which you both see and hear, for it is not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself, the Lord, who said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That sermon is beyond ridiculous. Okay? This guy, Peter, who rallies around, he started off in verse 14 by talking to them, saying, men of Judah and to a general location, should Jerusalem. He started off by thinking, I was just talking to southern Jews. I'm just talking to some of my people. He started off by thinking, maybe if I just speak to my fellow countrymen about what's actually happened, they would listen. And by the time he gets to verse 21 which is about seven lines into his opening passage this idea if you would just call out if you would just call out to the name of jesus then you would be saved and yet they don't respond by the time he realized that not only not responding but they're still standing there and he sees no response the spirit of god same spirit of god that empowers us to be here today that same spirit of god not only empowers them but then he changes his verbiage and he says to them men of israel How does someone go from talking to a small contingency of people that he barely feels qualified to to talking to the totality of his people group? He is looking into this vast crowd of people. I mean, we know a couple thousand are going to get saved, so it is a good-sized crowd. He is looking into the totality of the crowd, and he is not only calling them out, but he's calling all of them out. And who is he talking to? The men. That doesn't mean he's not talking to the women, but he's letting the men know I'm holding each one of you accountable for what you've done. When he says to them, you wicked men, with the foreknowledge of God, you put him to death and you nailed him to a cross. Peter is bringing the first message down, man. I mean, Josh, this is a down moment. You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, man, Peter. How is it Peter, I mean, how how is the Spirit of God who knows all things in this moment of like pouring out on the world? I mean, this is the first display of the Holy Spirit to the world, right? This is the foundation of our faith. How is he choosing and moving in this guy? This guy who publicly denied Jesus three times. This guy who publicly denied Jesus three times, who first crumbled At the words of a small girl who points to him and says aren't you one of his disciples a simple accusation a simple parameter but peter no i am not he says to her this is not only denial in the ultimate fashion this is lying this this guy peter's in the last days of his time with the Lord after making a claim when everyone else does this Lord to you I will never do this to you this cocky overconfident arrogant person is failing at the most epic time in the history and yet 10 days later the same guy is going to stand on the stairs and speak I don't know Lord my heart tells me by the second time another person came to him, a servant girl, a little higher up in the ranking, she also makes the same claim. I'm thinking to myself, Peter, why haven't you left? Why after the servant girl, the small girl speaks to you, why haven't you left? Why are you staying? Because now the same accusation comes again. Don't you know him? I do not know him. I said I do not know him. He doesn't leave. He doesn't anything. He gets wrapped up again. Luke 22 says this. By the third time he's accused, he's in the presence of the high court. He's in the presence of the people in the kind of to-do of life. And they begin to make a final accusation against him and say, you are one of them. And Peter turns to them. He begins to curse and swear and says, I do not know the men. You use the language of today. You use the kind of vernacular that you find offensive. And you think about what's actually happening with this guy. It's not just a denial of Christ. It is an elevated, escalated continuum of denial. And yet somehow, the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ... And the relevance of how the Spirit of God sees us says, you hear something not right? You hear the crowd muttering something that's not right? You hear them beginning to defame the Spirit of God that's moving? Then you speak. And Peter responds. Just as Jesus had to restore Jesus three times, Just as Peter had to deny Jesus monumentally, I kept thinking, maybe he was just weak. And then I read the scriptures again, and I realized, who cut off the ear of Malchimus, the high priest, in front of the Roman guards? Peter. This was not a weak man. The high guard in this particular situation, when they came to arrest Jesus, they didn't just send out four or five of the guys to kind of... This was probably been a hundred strong of the finest, strongest, biggest human beings they could find, with Malcolmus, the high priest, in front of them saying, this accusation that's been brought against you, against Judas. And who is it of the guys available that lashes out? Peter. He's the best of the best. And he's the worst of the worst. And Peter is me. And Peter is you. And yet here's Peter. Standing on the stairs. And the spirit of God is moving. And he has a boldness. And a confidence. To say to these people. You did it. You hung him on a cross. You nailed him to a tree. And I can only think he's telling himself. And I did it too. And yet. As true as that is, somehow I'm speaking. Somehow he's not done with me. And somehow that says to me to tell you that the power of Pentecost, the real miracle of the Christian church, is not just that the word of God was spoken, it's the name by which you speak and the power by which you speak. Because he boldly proclaimed that love and forgiveness comes in no other name but the very same name that saves. His restoration is complete. His focus is now finite. And he will speak to the Jews from this point on and live in such a way that there's no turning back. And the word of God that's spoken also then begins to affect someone to the point that Jesus's brother in that crowd also hears that same spirit. And James, the denier of Jesus, James, the brother of Jesus who made his life, I'm sure very difficult, James is going to hear. And where is James going to become the founder and father of a church? Right there in Jerusalem. You thought it was over. You thought you killed him? You didn't kill him. He gave his life as a ransom. You can't kill someone who gives their life. You thought he was done and you thought he was gone. What you hear right now is a victory celebration that started 2000 years ago on the stairs of this building, wherever it was and whatever it was situated with 120 people that were simply available. And based on the individual that's speaking, I can only tell you this, church, every single one of us, scarred, broken, crumbling, inadequate, arrogant, cocky, whatever adverb you find to put in front of your name is qualified to speak on behalf of our risen Lord, because that's who's speaking, because it's not about Peter. It's not human power. Um, Looked at some human-powered things. Um, The Greek uh, the dynasties, right? A couple of dynasties, 400 years, 600 years. The Chinese dynasty, 2,000 years. There's been lots of powerful dynasties. Where are they today? They're archaeological ruins that we talk about. We're not talking about something that of our volition can be broken or fought. You can't fight against this. He says the gates of hell will not stop us as the church. And he says, you only have to do one thing. What do you have to do? Call upon the name of Jesus. If you're looking for one of those Michael signs or one of those fun little signs that, you know, the ladies love to decorate with, I love those kind of verbiages. Choose this day. One of the ones I love is choose this day who you will serve. That's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. I think that's important to think about every day. But this passage right here and this phrase right here, call upon the name of Of the lord and you will be saved is crucial to what we're doing here today why because it's from joel 232 and it's been around for hundreds of years before someone finally figured out what it actually means you see within the very name of jesus is the key watch this jesus j-e-s-u-s j-e short for yahweh yeshua okay what does Yeshua mean? Well, they know that Yeshua means salvation, okay? Seus, one who saves. Yeshua is the one who saves. What about what's left over? Christ, is it really left over? Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. So what are you actually saying? You're saying Yeshua, the one who saves, the anointed one, Messiah. I receive you. And how sufficient is that? It's so sufficient that a thief on a cross who lived his life in utter disdain for all humanity to the point that he's being hung publicly, found favor in the eyes of the Savior after denying him and mocking him in the morning somewhere in the afternoon before it was too late. He simply said to him, remember me. I've told you this before, and I would tell you this, and it's one of the worst salvation prayers I've ever heard as a pastor. Right? I like the Romans Road. I like the ABCs. I have so many things that I like to hear someone say, a confession, a pronouncement of sin. There's so many things in part of this baptism class that uh, Ken so lovingly shared with you that's now traumatizing people. It's just to make sure we know what we know, right? But what did the thief know? What do you ultimately need to tell your friend who doesn't know Jesus? What do you need to tell them is that your sin is gonna separate you from the love of God for eternity and that your sin is insurmountable for you of your own volition to, to get rid of. It's not just the Grand Canyon that you can't jump across. It's insurmountable. There is only one way through. There is only one passage to the other side. There's only one bridge that goes from this, the land of sin, to the land of eternal life. And it is exclusively through Jesus Christ. His name says it. You know, even the angel that brought the name to Mary gave us a clue. Do you remember what Jesus' initial name was when they were waiting for his attributes to be seen when he was just a mere infant? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel refer to? God with us. Church, we don't have to present them anything else than what's already been said. Church, we don't have to explain it in some articulation of seminary explanation. You only have to explain what you already know to be true, that the Spirit of God showed you the truth, that the Spirit of God spoke to you in your language, that the Spirit of God explained something to you, and you had a chance, like those Galileans, to hear and be told that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. And now you only have one response, to choose or to refuse the work of the Spirit of God. Why is there only one unforgivable sin? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why is there only one? Because when you refuse the work of the Holy Spirit, what you're ultimately saying is, I hear you talking to me, but I can't, I won't, and I will not believe. And for that one sin alone, you will stand in utter judgment on the Bema Seed of God without the advocacy. ...of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I can tell you... ...nothing this world has to punish us with... ...nothing you have seen in the horrific acts of mankind... ...nothing that exists on this earth... ...will be as horrific as the moment... ...someone comes into realization... ...that they have not received Jesus Christ... ...as their Lord and Savior... ...while they were still on earth. To be cast out into utter darkness is something that I try to use to teach my students about back in the days of yore. It was a fun message to teach when we were at camp because when you're away from the city, you can be away from lights. And up at Thousand Pines, there was two areas I used to love to take the kids and teach them this message about what it means to be in utter darkness. The absence of light. What is light? Jesus is light. And the absence of that light begins to detune all your senses and for a lot of people being in utter darkness kind where you can't see your hand in front of your face for a prolonged period of time begins to just kind of even instill some anxiety and yet when you think about the true attributes of hell a message which i have not given in nine years but i'm more than willing should you have an interest in truly understanding what the word of god shares with us the few insights we actually get the attributes of hell there's a fun titled message that everyone will be running to hear. But what we actually risk when we don't share the name of Jesus Christ with someone are the attributes of hell. We should be thinking about those. We should be considering those because that's what those people will face when they stand before Him in that beam of seat. And He says, What have you done with Yeshua? What have you done with the name of the one who saves? What is your answer? Well, I went to church at Easter and Christmas. Check, check. I put some cheating in the box, that little box back there twice. And one time on the radio, I supported like a missionary. I mean, those are nice things. But I'm asking you, what have you done with the name of Jesus Christ? There's only one thing you can do with the name of Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. If you open the door, not because he's at the door, right? I've talked to people, last night I talked to someone at my door. I'm not in a relationship with someone at my door. Some of us have those little peepholes or the little glass peekaboo, right? You could still even have a visualization of someone at the door, That does not mean you know the person at the door. That's not what he's saying. The door has to be open and the invitation has to be extended. I ask you to come in. Remember me. Right? It's a physical act of moving from I've got this and I don't need to I don't have this and I need. And what I need, Lord, is you. I need your Yeshua, the one who saves, the anointed one, the Messiah. I don't need anything else. Why? Because the Bible says, for there's one way, one truth, and one life, and there's no other way to God except through Jesus. So Peter keeps speaking, and he is not about to back off in any way. So verse 37 says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and Peter said to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? He said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is the reason why we exist. This is the main reason. This is the main thing. When we're, when you hear me say, keep the main thing, the main thing, this is the main thing. 2,000 years ago, the church was birthed from this. And 2,000 years later, we are here today for one reason, so that people can repent be baptized and profess the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. There is no other high calling on the church than that. When the Bible talks about equipping the saints, right? What do you come to church for? To be equipped, for you to be believers, to be equipped. What are you being equipped for? To share that. Some people talk about over-equipping. Here's an interesting thing. Next time you see someone who really is like a mountaineering climber, we have a couple of them, Rachel, I think, We have some people that climb. I met the Kellys are up there. You guys talk to to a climber. Ask them how significant one pound of extra weight is if you're going to climb a 14,000 or a 15,000 elevation mountain. Ask them how important a $300 jacket is that rolls all the way up into a little ball like this that can go 15 or 20 degrees. Ask them about anything about what they do, and they will tell you this with absolute clarity. Everything matters. If you want to make it to the top of that hill, everything matters and every step is calculated. The only reason why the church exists today is to carry the bare minimums to get up that mountain, right? As you are going in life. Literally the, the, the Great Commission, go and make, the word is it's traverse. It is it is a mountaineering term as you are going through life. How do you go? You traverse. You don't try to charge the hill. You no one goes up a mountain like this. Anyone who's ever tried has failed. Okay? You go up like this and you move and you move and you pendulum and you move and then you hold and then you move, and then you move. Why? Constantly moving to one destination. And along the way, anything that's not necessary or not important, it's jettisoned, right? Because if you want to make it, you need to have the bare essentials. That's the bare essentials for our faith. And the Spirit of God has moved in such a way that if we're not talking about salvation, if we're not focused on salvation, then even if it's a good thing, it might not be the necessary thing. And that's why he continues to tell them, if you do it right and the Spirit of God moves, what are the results? I love it when it's so cut and dry. Verse 40 literally gives us the results. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then that day, those who had received his word were baptized that day. Interesting, right? Not weeks later, months later, or years later. There's no reason to wait. That day, they were added about 3,000 souls. Now, I'm one of those people that when I read the word of God, my mind flies all over the place. I realize I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and I realize even when God speaks to me, my mind scrambles sometimes. And I was like, 3,000 people. That is so amazing. Recently in the church, about three people have come to the Lord in the last few months. And I can't tell you how ecstatic that makes me. I am someone who lives, breathes, and the sole motivation is to watch someone transition into salvation. Nothing on the earth makes me more joyous than someone being saved. Nothing. It is the sole feeding of my soul. 3,000 people. This is like a Billy Graham revival, right? And I was just like, I was so pumped. And then I heard God speaking. Read the story about Moses. Moses. Read what happened the first time I spoke to man. Read what happened when I gave them my word written in stone. And I went back to Mount Sinai. And I realized something that God tried to speak to man one other time before. It happened on Mount Sinai. Moses spent 40 days, eight different trips going up and down to try to hear from the Lord. And in that time away from the people, when the Lord finally spoke and with the very finger of God writes down these initial commandments, the first three about our relationship with God, no other gods before me. Do not use the Lord's name in vain and do not make any idols. The next two about our relationship with family, honor your mother and father, keep the Sabbath day holy. And the next five about how we should live, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. The very rules and regulations by which we have the golden rule of life that we live today. When Moses finally got a chance to come down, to speak to his people, to bring this incredible truth that God himself spoke to him and wrote it down, what does he find? He finds us dancing around a golden calf that we had brought all of our precious material to, and they had pounded it and melted it and formed it into sheets and covered a graven image, a large golden calf, and the people were dancing around it because Moses had been gone for so long. They assumed that he was dead, and they said, This is now our God. This is now who we will praise. And Moses comes down, and he sees them, and his heart is broken when he realizes what God has intended for us And what we have intended for God. And he doesn't even get a chance to present the information. He simply now has to go into another mode. This is what you want. Those who are with me, step across. Those who are with God, come over now. Because those who are against God, there will be retribution. And the Levites begin to move out of the crowd. And those that are with him begin to move out and try to come stand with Moses against and away from those people that are dancing around this golden calf. And do you know what the results was? Maybe you forgot. Maybe you didn't even heard this. But you know what the results was the first time the word of God was spoken to the people? And we call it the law. We call it the Ten Commandments. But do you know what the results were? 3,000 people lost their life. 3,000. The first time the word of God was spoken. And they were utterly destroyed. Literally, it says consumed, Right? What a difference the good news is. Thank God we have the gospel. Thank God we have the good news that Jesus has come and is the fulfillment of that law. Because the next time we see that spirit of God moving, the next time we see the name of God being professed, the next time we see it in the individual who's even professing it, we know by its affirmation that the people were cut to the quick, they were cut to the heart, and they knew they needed to respond. And so they did respond, and they didn't wait, and they were baptized right away. 3,000 people lost their lives the first time, and now 3,000 people can be the fulfillment of the Spirit of God. Church, we are here today. We are speaking today. I am speaking to you today because that same Spirit of God that changed those first people changed us and every single one of you at some point in time have had the opportunity to hear that same spirit speaking to you saying this is true and what you are hearing is life and so it's time to make a decision about jesus christ and the results of that is metanoia is the greek word for this a changed life okay the results of that is a changed life, In verse 42 just brings it completely home. This passage has everything you can need, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And what did they do because of this changed life? Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostolic teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all of the believers were together. And they all had things in commons, and they would sell their property and their possessions and then share with, with each other, with all, to the extent that anyone, that anyone who had need was taken care of. Verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That, my friends, is a mic drop. That is the real answer to why a pastor spends the time that he does trying to do what's impossible to do. That is why... You have a very unique and special ministry that only you can do. Um, Matthew, we're blessed this week to be on TV again and once again share because of the situation that God has allowed you to have presence in to speak the name of Jesus. Church, each one of you has an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus into a presence that I'm not in, that the elders are not in, that you exclusively live in, and you have that same spirit of God that worked in that flawed flawed human Peter to do that which is unimaginable please consider before we even take communion today that a passage that says you are more than a conqueror is something we all love to hold the banner of we like to we like to hold Jeremiah 29 and God has plans for me plans to prosper me it's weird how you remember certain verses and phrase them for yourself and like God has plans to prosper me and I'm more than a conqueror that's, that's kind of true, but not the full truth, so help you God, right? Because you're more than a conqueror in Christ who strengthens you. If you try to do this thing called life without Christ, I can already tell you the results. Save yourself some hassles. It will not work. It will not satisfy, and it will not have the kind of long-term generational influence that i'm sure you would hope to have the only thing that can last that will last that has been lasting is the name of jesus and he says it will continue that celebration that started on those stairs will continue until he returns we only have one thing to do call upon the name of jesus we don't have anything else that we have to do We only have one thing that we need to do. I know all of you, every Sunday morning throughout the week, we talk about all the other things that we want to do. We talk about all the other things that we think we can do. And those all might be really significant and really important, but there's only one thing you have to do. Call upon the name of Jesus. Your marriage is struggling. Call upon the name of Jesus. Fall back to when you said I do. Remind yourself of what you said I do too for better. For worse, in sickness or in health, until death, do you both part, so help you God. Is this what you proclaim today? We do. Fall back to that child dedication. We're getting ready to do child dedications next week. We have three or four families that are going to make a commitment. They're not just dedicating the child. The child isn't currently in the state to make that decision. What those families are saying is we are deciding. We are standing in front of you. We are holding ourselves accountable to Proverbs 22.6 to the long-term commitment to train up a child. Your faith is struggling, and you're just kind of confused about who you are, and you're just sputtering. Fall back in prayer to what you originally said. Whoever calls upon the name of Yeshua will have what they need. You are forgiven, okay? Peter was forgiven, he was restored to something he could have never been. And he was able to die for that very same faith that he once so unequivocally denied man, I don't know if you've denied your faith. I don't know if you've done something horrific and thought, well, God could never work with me. God could never use me. You are in great company. Moses didn't have a good track record. David didn't have a good track record, but both of them were powerful men of God used even through their infirmities. Do not let your infirmities stand in your way today from hearing that voice, from hearing that spirit of God. And as we get ready to take communion, and as I call the band back up here, I'm just going to pray one final prayer for you, and then I'll prep you for communion. But I just want to remind you this morning, you didn't sign up for faith because it was easy. If someone gave you the faith prayer and said, hey, come to Jesus, and all your problems will go away, and all your things in life, all your family issues will all be reconciled, then on behalf of whoever lied to you, can I apologize, okay? What you signed up for, rich young ruler, okay? What you signed up for was to sell everything you have, to leverage everything that made you, you, and say, with my outer cloak and my inner cloak and my walking stick, I will follow the Lord. I don't need anything. Everything I need, he has. And everything I need to know and everything I need to learn, the Spirit of God will now teach me. I pray that this morning, as we pray and have a time of communion, to spend some time taking the body and blood of Christ in to remind ourselves who we are, that this, this morning would be an encouragement to you and a reminder. If you have made that decision, fall back to that. Be restored by that. If you haven't made that decision, then today is the day. Tomorrow has its own problems, and do not think that tomorrow you're going to reconcile what needs to be reconciled today. Father God, first and foremost, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power and the significance that we even found today as we took the time to even understand what his name means. Just like you, Father, have many different names. Just like there's many different understandings about Abba and Adonai. It just tells us all the wonderful attributes about who you are. But, Father, the reality for Jesus was when he rose from the grave, he established once and for all that he was Messiah And that he paved a way for us to know that this life and these final breaths that we will one day take are not the beginning. But Father, they're the the opportunity to transition to what you have in store for us. A future, an eternity with you. With the light. Not void of the light, with the light. We won't even need the sun anymore for the radiance of our Father will be sufficient. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in here today, especially someone who's maybe getting a chance to take communion for the first time in a while, that they would search themselves and know who they are. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be arrogant. It's okay to be, because you're in good company. That has never stopped someone from being used for the kingdom of God and what mankind thinks they've done to you and what mankind thought they did to you. It wasn't right then, and it will never be right because you used it for good. So we fall back to Romans 8. We fall back to the fact that all things, even adversity, sickness, health, are being used for the kingdom of God. Father, may everything that we have, everything that we are, continue to be an opportunity to bring honor and glory to and through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.
1: All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain with the pain and the, and the sorrow. Be washed away. deep cries out to you.
0: it's done differently at different churches. Sometimes it's done every Sunday. Sometimes it's done once a month, like what we do first of the month. Sometimes it's just done at special events like Easter and Christmas. I guess to me it really doesn't matter how many times you do it. It just matters that when you do it, you do it the way it was told to be done in remembrance of him and that each time we do it we do it to remind ourselves that what happened at Pentecost what happened when Jesus came some 2,000 years ago whatever he said would happen will happen and whether or not we were thinking about it today or not we're going to commune with him and we're going to take him in and we're going to be reminded we're not doing this on our own We couldn't. Peter couldn't. Peter shouldn't. I shouldn't. But I can. Because he who strengthens me is stronger than he who's in the world. So when we eat this, when we take this, we remind ourselves it's his body that strengthens us. We're running on his body that's in us. And his body that was shed and given for us. Take and eat this in remembrance of him and as we prepare our hearts for the cup just remind yourself that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood What was paid in full in this simple little reminder is a fabulous articulation that we are good enough for him, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ, and he beseeches us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, but you can't do it without the blood that was shed for your sins. Drink this in remembrance of him. Father God, this morning, if there's anyone in this house, if there's anyone listening who just doesn't know or has forgotten, then would you restore them back to that simple time when the name of Jesus was something they ran to, when the name of Jesus was something they fell at the feet of, And just to hear Jesus speak was sufficient. The parties and the struggles and the trials of this life, Father, they all go away when we sit at the feet of Jesus and remind us that he's given us all that we need. And the spirit, the paraclete, the one who walks alongside, the one who was promised is here. And so spirit of God, move in your people again stir us this day to remind ourselves of the urgency of heaven and hell help us to not just invite people because we can or should but because heaven and hell are in the balance we're so grateful for everything that you have done on the cross we're so grateful to have this time to commune with you today father we pray that as we prepare our hearts for the rest of the week And even next week in general, Father, that everything that would come forth from us, every word that would be spoken, every action that we would consider would be considered in light of the cross. Thank you for giving us salvation. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the name above all names. For it is his name we pray. Amen. If you have any need of prayer, you can fill out a prayer request card and put it in the back. If you have need of counseling or some other issue that the church can jump in with, please put it in the back. If you have a tithe or something that you want to give to the Lord, please put it in the back. And if you have anything else that you need to discuss or whatever, do not leave this building without coming and sharing with us today. We are here for you. We love you. And I pray that you have a blessed week, encouraged by the blood of Christ. God bless you all.
1: Though a place I would rather be place I would rather be no place I would rather be than here in your love here in your love no place I would rather be no place I would rather be, place would rather be, no, place would rather be no place I would rather be than here in your love no, here in your love no place I, I would rather So set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control, cause I want